Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. is the Toffee Web Podcast. It's almost certainly going to be the same again for Everton for a third successive season. They're going to lose their first two games. Didn't get a win last year until game seven. Duran, he's through. He got past Keane. First Villa goal to come today. Michael Keane has had a second half to well and truly scrub from his record. It was Everton's throw-in. Ashley Young maybe a little too ambitious. Keane was never getting there. But Duran, only on for a matter of seconds, was as sharp as attack. 47 seconds precisely after leaving the bench. He makes it Aston Villa 4. Everton nil. Well, Sean, tough day. Can you take anything positive from that, or is this not the time to talk about that? At the end of the day, it was a tough day in the sense that they were better than us. No excuses from me. Um, they were sharper. They had more energy to their performance with, with the ball, without the ball. They were more edge to their performance. And I spoke about that last season. I spoke endlessly to the players about it. You can't wait for a game to come your way. You have to make it happen. We started okay. Um, really soft goals. First one changes the feel of the stadium and changes the feel of our performance. And that's happened too many times where the mentality drifts too quickly. So we need a much firmer resolve when things go against you because you're still in a game, you know, so never more so than now. Too many mistakes get punished, um, but, but overall I'm not going to make an excuse. They were far better than us today. Defensively, any worries or is it they're just mistakes that happen and, and can be rectified? 
it's the body language of the defensive unit today, not just the defensive unit. That's not fair. The team, you know, set pieces. Um, and a couple of mistakes don't help, of course. But, you know, things where players should be tuned in and turned, uh, tuned into the moment with the detail, and we didn't. And, and like I say, in this level of football, you get punished against a side who have just been punished themselves. They react, of course. Now we're looking to react from that today. James, a tough one this afternoon, a second successive loss for Everton, losing their opening two games. How difficult is this one to swallow? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a fair result. So, <laughs> started off about seven minutes and then capitulated. Um, I saw poor body language. I think it's lack of effort as such. It's not like no one runs around. Um, maybe just poor discipline in our shape and we just got opened up. Um, and then every goal for me is awful. Um, I haven't seen them back here, but at the time it looked awful. Hello Blues, it's the Toffee Web Podcast, it's the lull between that awful defeat at Villa Park on Sunday and a home game against Wolves this coming Saturday that is already being talked about as a six-pointer by some, despite it only being the third game of the season. All the while, the transfer deadline edges closer without Everton having signed that elusive striker. The need is as urgent as ever with Dominic Calvert-Lewin facing yet more time on the sidelines, this time with a fractured cheekbone and Neil Mopé's goal drought continuing. Indeed, Everton have started a season with successive defeats without scoring for only the third time in their history and for the first time in 68 years. So if you thought the misery of last season was behind us, the early indications in 2023-24 are that the nightmare goes on. And on top of that, the news broke just before we started recording that MSP Sports Capital have broken off talks about taking an equity position in the club. So there goes that dream of maybe getting some uh, capable people in the boardroom and beginning the process of levering Farhad Mashiri out of the club. Uh, misery, as they say, loves company. I'm joined by Adam McCulloch, Paul Trail, and uh, Al Bretland, who is back for the first time since the end of last season. Uh, Al, as a follower of yours on Twitter, uh, I can probably guess how you're feeling. Uh, we'll get into the specifics of the Villa game, obviously, but overall, um, frustrated doesn't cover it right now, I imagine. No, it's just, you know, for a football fan not to have hope in August, it's just insane, but Everton have managed to, to do it. it it's just... Um, so demoralising to to see where the football club is at. For you know, forty thousand of us in the football ground every week, we can see what the problems are. We can see what needs to be done. We can see what needs to be fixed. And you know, yet again, the custodians just can't seem to get their act together. Um, it, it just seems that we're completely incapable of of fixing the mess. You know, all football clubs will have difficult times, but this is just a nightmare and. It's honestly baffling that we've we've actually stayed in the division, and that there's three you know there's been three teams that have been worse than us. Um, because I, I I just do not see where Everton go from here. Um, you know that I was I was hopeful going into the season that with Sean Dyche, a pragmatic manager, um, and you know some of the moves that had been made, especially with you know the the defence that sort of switch up, I was confident that this would be a fresh start, and it, it's anything but. Um, you know, the the fact that Jared Branthwaite hasn't been starting football games and the player that was dropped last season, Michael Keane, has. And the, the centre-forward situation is still exactly the same. I'm just, honestly, I, I won't even say I'm baffled because I have come to expect that this is the way Everton Football Club is ran. But for me, it's it just makes zero sense. And <laughs> it's very, 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 very scary to think where we could be come May. Yeah. 
Paul, are you been fortunate enough to have had a holiday to distract you? <laughs> but how are you feeling about it all uh, now that you're back and, and facing the grim reality of going back to Curtisson on Saturday? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah, you quickly get. Uh, well, it won't, won't help me get over them holiday blues, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> this MSP thing, it feels like a bit of a body blow, doesn't it? This MS, uh, um, this, this lack of uh, investment from MSP now. Uh, we'll need to see how it unravels and uh, what happens from there. But I mean, it, it kind of feels like we've been banking on that that investment coming in, so we can and things that sit from the outside looking in feels like we've been we've been waiting for that to you know to to help us sort of go and make some signings. That feels like to me the biggest hold up and just into <laughs> just into not having the money. And now, well, if we're not going to get that money, it 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 it's it, it's so close to the end of the window now. It's a, it's it's a real worry. If, if, for me, if we're going to get these players in, could it lead to some more player sales as well? You know, what I mean that 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 that's that's another that you know uh, that 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 could be a reality uh, that we're looking at quite quickly in the next week or so before the window closes. So there's um, you know me, I, I, I tend to tend to you know be more glasses half full, um, but feeling very glasses half empty after that MSP news broke just before. Um, Really, really worried about that. I've got to say. Yeah, I'll, I'll say a bit, probably just for my own um, catharsis, than uh, yeah, adding anything new because it, it is just—it's so already two games into a season, it just feels like disaster has just landed at our doorstep. Every new cycle brings with it another tragedy, and yeah, just as we're about to go on to a pod rather than talking about a striker that we should have signed weeks if not months if not years ago um <laughs> while we yeah. haggle over haggle over a few million for someone who again wouldn't be the the top choice for most people and it's another indication of where we're at instead of announcing that we're looking at um another gaping hole in the bank balance um following a gaping hole through midfield and defense at the weekend it's it's just a it really is well, yeah. Swear words don't really do it justice, to be honest. It's 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 awful. It's crap, and it's. I don't think it's um, a kind of certainly us as a part are not a want to go too hysterical and and to, to Paul's point, tend to skew towards the positive. Um, but boy, are Everton making that difficult to two two games? Sorry into a season that feels like it's going to, it's going to really drag and it's, yeah, it's, it's a really dire, worrying time. And Sean Dyche's press conference tomorrow is going to be interesting because I think he knew he had a job on his hands and he's a manager who has worked with his hands tied behind his back in the past at Burnley, but this is a, a whole of a job and, yeah, that's that's not me giving him a complete out as well because I thought he was another one who was culpable of the weekend. But yeah, not not good all round. Yeah, I think El said it best when you want to go into a new season just with some semblance semblance of optimism, and and any that we had of <laughs> misplaces it might have been has just been just absolutely destroyed. And yeah, I, my overriding feeling at the, well, I was going to say the end of the Villa game, it was during the game when you just realized that, you know, what was about to unravel was this is going to be a long, long, hard season. But uh, 
I mean, let's get into the horror show that was um, Aston Villa away. I mean, honestly, where, where do you start? We effectively lost Dom after 10 minutes because you know, I think he spent the next 28 minutes, you know, manfully trying to run around. But it was it was clear that uh, that he was playing with with blurred vision you know, as he morphed into the elephant man. Uh, we lost uh, Alex Awobi to injury. And then there was the performance, which I mean, I think on out there and Juma and Lewis Dobbin apart was just horrendous, um, almost from start to finish. I mean, we started okay, but then just collapsed uh, into that uh, all too uh, Everton fashion. Um, I don't know. L, where, where, where do you begin with it? Yeah, well, I think it's just the, the, the dysfunctionality of the team. I, I just feel that it makes it impossible to get good results, really. Um, yeah. There's too many players on the pitch that are spinning plates in you know different positions. Um, I think the manager picking a player that he dropped last season wasn't a good call. I thought Michael Keane was quite suspect against Fulham anyway, uh, even though you know we only conceded the one goal. Um, so it was just, you know, you, you see the team and... Although we're talking about that dysfunction, having Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the team, I always feel we've got a chance with him, no matter how bad things are. Um, and I think I think as bad as the last two years have been and as bad as the recruitment decisions have been and the run of the club, Dominic Calvert-Lewin being unavailable has been the biggest hindrance because he is that good, he is that effective and he is, you know, a, a real focal point for the entire team. So for me, it was, you know, I, I, I wasn't, Keen on some of the things I, you know, I saw in Sean Dyche's lineup, but with Dominic Calvert Lewin, I thought, well, do you know what, we can compete here, and we didn't because obviously, unfortunately for us, you know, Dominic Calvert Lewin had to go off, and it, you know, it just really sums up the the look of Everton in the last few years that, you know, it's it's a player that's had a lot of time on the sidelines, but it's not like he picked up a reoccurring injury. It was a real bad luck where he's taking a massive whack on the face and. Credit to him that he that he's carried on for as long as he did, as you mentioned, Lyndon. So, mm-hmm. um, for me, it was just one of them, and it was when I say it was one of them. After the first goal went in, I felt it was game over because of how the season has started. Because it doesn't really feel like a new season. Weirdly, it does feel, even though we've had a big break, it just feels like a continuation of of what went before in the last two years. So, you know, I, I know there were some signs of positivity against Fulham that we did create chances but I think that you know it the, the team makeup at the minute is a bit of a mess and so it, it it didn't surprise me to see the way the team folded and it, it it's a case that you know I think the inclusion of Keane and you know the fact that Nathan Patterson isn't the most experienced player and then you've got James Garner in front of him again who is only 21 it it it, it just it doesn't allow for the older players to really focus on their own game. I think still at the at the moment there's probably the need for a lot of hot, you know, holding of hands of teammates of of getting them through games. And I, I just feel that when that happens, you know, your experienced players like Tarkovsky and Adrisa Garnagay, it's just a bit too much. And I, I I just feel that you know that the talk has been about centre forwards, but do we need a you know an old head at the back as well? Um, because it is that it was just. It was too obvious to everybody watching that Everton were going to get a hammering very early on. I mean, Villa Villa came flying off the blocks, and it, it it worried me that James Tarkovsky was was trying to get in his teammates here after about forty seconds, as if to say, "Wake up, lads, we're in a game here." So, and you know, for that for that to be so early in the season, and when Sean Dyche has had a full preseason, it's just really set the alarm bells, and it, it's such a shame that the start we've had has probably set the narrative now for the next 36 games. 
this isn't the fresh start we wanted, it's probably going to be more of the same. I think when we're talking about sort of centre-backs, I think the problem is that we just haven't got reliable centre-backs, have we? And, and, and that's the thing, Tarkovsky, I think, is reliable. I think most of the time, he, he had a bit of a stinker, didn't he, on, on, on Sunday? But, you know, you can rely on him a lot of the time. But you don't want, I don't think we can rely on Michael Keane or Holgate. Or, obviously, he's not really in, in the picture now. Ben Godfrey, I don't feel we can rely on. We really de- desperately need, uh, you know, J- uh, Javid Blanfrey. It wouldn't be fair to rely on them all the time. We want them in the team. You're right, Alan, saying that. But, you know, you're asking a lot. We, we certainly need some fresh blood in, at, at the back. And we've been saying that since, I think, when we did the podcast at the end of the season, what, what should we be looking to sign? And that was the uh, that was one of the things we said. Uh, and, a new centre-back. Centre-back with pace and, and athlete. A Joseph Yobbo, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, something like that, that, you know, like, you know, Moyes went and got a young, hungry, athletic centre-back, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a real problem position. And, it, and it, the worry is, you wonder how they're going to go and strengthen that now uh, if this MSP money isn't there. And it doesn't even feel like it's been a priority at any point of the summer anyway. Have we even been linked with a centre-back all summer? You know, so um, it's it, it, it's it, it's a real concern uh, now for me. Um Aston Villa, they were just miles better than us, weren't they? And that, that, that's the one thing I find really, really depressing about this because it's not that long ago Villa were just 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 been promoted. Now there was a bit of a sliding doors moment with Villa when they got promoted, spent more money than anybody, and were reliant on a bit on a goal line call, was it from Sheffield United match, and they just about stayed up by a point or so. It's it's funny how that could have changed so much for them had they gone had, had they stayed not stayed up. But since they stayed, they've just gone from strength to strength. Yeah, I mean, and yes, their, their recruitment's very good. How many, how many good balls did Luca Dean put in from left back? Yeah, I mean, like it's just, just, just countless. You think of what we had, and we just got absolutely nothing in that position. Yeah, um, and you can look at these holes all over the park, and we have done for over the year now doing <laughs> this podcast, and it's it just doesn't really feel like um, we're getting anywhere. And when you're getting turned over every time you play Aston Villa. I mean, that's pretty depressing for where we were, you know, like not too long ago when we were like comfortably a better, a better squad than Villa. You know, it's um, it's just one example. And there's examples throughout the league of when this has happened. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really, I didn't see the full game, I've got to be honest. I, I was I was on holiday and we were going to the World Athletics Championships and uh, that was starting. So after a half time, I thought, well, I don't need to see any more of this, I think. And uh, yeah, seeing the score later was really depressing. I haven't seen the goals back. I don't really want to. I've heard a lot about them. It just sounds an awful, um, awful mess. And um, yeah, let's see how they come, come against Wolves. But they got, they got to pull together and quickly because um, it's... Uh, it was a real horror show there, wasn't it? Just a bit, yeah. It was, um, it was a very naive performance. It was, um, as 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 you mentioned, Al, just very disorganised. And and again, these are these are issues that we've seen year after year. We know that Dominic Calvert Lewin's going to struggle with injuries. Okay, the one on Sunday is a bizarre moment it's incredibly unlucky um he does well to carry on but we know that there's cover needed there and it's not been addressed season after season we also know that playing central midfielders out wide does not a winger make and having such a a promising looking player as James Garner shunted out wide not only nullifies him but again it it means that you've got a very inexperienced fullback in Nathan Patterson who Again, we, we've said it. He, he needs calmer, composed heads around him to, to to bring on his game. Seamus Coleman didn't come into the side 
as a young player and be expected to kind of carry the side. Whereas we're now throwing in young players in the wrong areas and then we've got experienced players who just simply aren't doing enough. Idrissa Gay at the weekend, awful. Shades of the away game at Arsenal. And also these these 4-0s and the away results at Spurs, those kinds of results happen once, maybe twice over the course of a season and you can't always mitigate for it. You can't mitigate for Alex Iwobi going off injured. You can't mitigate for penalty decisions and things like that. But we, we're getting quite used to having a game like this every sort of, I don't know, four or five fixtures and you go, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to get tonked here. And that's really, really not good enough. And I think if our, let's let's call it optimism going into this season, but I think we're all very realistic with what optimistic was, i.e. survive and maybe not leave it until the last game of the season. I think one thing that we all spoke about was having under Deitch some kind of organised side, some kind of steel and grit that, okay, we would lose games and we probably wouldn't be punching above our weight in in those games against the likes of Arsenal and City and Manchester United, etc. But that we would get enough points and that we'd be hard to beat and that we'd go to somewhere like Villa Park and we'd maybe get a point. Whereas under the likes of Lampard and Benitez before, we would go and lose. So to see us so comprehensively rolled over on Sunday and with so many of these same mistakes just not being learned from, and again, horrible singling people out but Michael Keane again we 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 know that experiment just has consistently failed to deliver and if a pre-season on a diet under a manager who knows him can't remedy the fact that Michael Keane at centre-back for Everton looks like a bad fit then we know it now so I agree that Jared Bramthwaite probably isn't the answer he's an answer to that question but I agree, in an ideal world, some kind of experienced centre-back would be coming in. If that doesn't happen, then something else needs to change. We need to find another way of playing at the back. Um, and that goes to midfield as well, because if if we if we were worried about Amadou Anana being snapped up by a, a big side before the end of the uh, transfer window, anyone who needs to watch that Villa game, um, that's... <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that's that's probably wiped twenty or thirty million off uh, off his his value there because again another really poor performance. But in mitigation, a young player who is expected to do a lot in this side, lots of players are being asked to do. I think I think you said it, L spinning plates. There's too much. James Garner cannot play out out wide and shuttle in the middle and be expected to do all this. There's just a complete lack of organisation, a complete lack of a plan, and that leads to a complete lack of a result. And that's what we're going to be staring at for the weeks going going ahead. Unless A, we bring some players in and B, Deitch really gets into them and sorts out some of these fundamentals. Because if we don't, we're, we're going to be in real, real trouble. Yeah. We just have too many players playing out of position all over the place. You know, I mean, that speaks to the, you know, the recruitment problems that we've been going on about for so long now that everyone knows what they are. Um, and the other thing was, I mean, you mentioned naive there, Adam. I mean, that is, that is the word. It was naive. I and mean, why were we so open? You know, midfield, I think, um, I mean, maybe Sean Dyche got a little carried away based on the chances that we created against Fulham because, you know, it looked like we went there trying to go toe to toe with, 
a team that we know despite getting thrashed by Newcastle. They're a better team than we are. They're better organized. They have better players. Um, and it was almost like having um, almost like having Lampard there again, trying to sort of compete on the level playing field away from home against a better team. And we just got opened up. And, you know, I think as I put in um, in my report, you just that's not something I expected from a Sean Dyche team, or at least not something that would happen, um, you know, again. Obviously, we, we got turned over a couple of times um, last season, Arsenal away being the, uh, you know, the, the, the chief example. But, you know, I mean, that was it was it was Arsenal away. Um, obviously, one of the uh, the common denominators <clears throat> was the uh, the central defensive partnership in in that game. Um, you know, and like with um, like with Neil Mope last week, you know, I'm loath to make this about one player because it's because it really isn't about one player. But you know, as we've said, um, you know, because as, as we've said, there are problems all over the pitch. Uh, but that central defense, in particular, <clears throat> you know, is it's an incredibly important part of the team, particularly when you're going to be under the cosh like we are against um, certain teams. And we, we look a sh- we look a shambles back there. And that fourth goal with that throw in was just I don't know what I don't know what he's thinking. Um but you'd think a player of his experience wouldn't even try it wouldn't even try a throw in like that. And yet, you know, there we are. Um but again, you know, he's he's a player who's I don't think he's I don't think he's he hasn't played most of his career in that position and I think it showed. Um you know Michael Keane, he doesn't set out to play badly. Um, I know for a fact from people who've met him that he's a lovely fellow, but the cold hard truth is that we are a worse team with with him in the back, and and that is up to the manager who selects him. You know, it's not the player's fault; it's the manager who selects him. Um, you know, the statistics they speak for themselves. I mentioned them in, in my match report, and Paddy, Paddy Boylan made um, made them a centerpiece of his article um, in the Athletic today, which is Wednesday as we record. Uh, and it, it's quite damning of Sean Dyche, given that you know he could no longer ignore based on last season, the folly of keeping Keane in the team at the back because, you know, when it was clear that he was a liability, he made the change, uh, brought Cody Amina back, and I believe it was a factor in, in keeping us up last season. So, and yet here we are. We start the new season with him back as a first-choice centre-half, and that, um, that blind spot to what, as you said, Al, what, what, what we can all see, that's really concerning, um, and it's even more so now. Um, you know, for me... Jared Branthwaite should have been given the remit at the beginning, started the season alongside Tarkovsky and said, go and go and show us what you can do. And we would have a, a pretty good idea by the end of the window, which is what, three, four games, whether he could do the job now, if he's, if he, if he's up to it. And if he's not, then you'd have a bit of time to, to get someone else in. I mean, yes, it would have been scrambling late, but when at Everton not scrambling late to, but you know, to get players. So, I mean, now assuming, assuming Daesh has seen the light, of course, um, you know we will be, we will, we will hopefully be scrambling for someone before the deadline. Um, I mean, it's, you said, have we been linked with anyone, Adam? I, I think um, what was it, Paul? When one of you asked the question, I think that uh, Jaffe Tanganga is the first name that I've seen in weeks that's popped up in the last few days. That that is a that is a possible. Um, you know, the, Harry Maguire has been mentioned by some fairly kind of unreliable sources, um, and I know the players like. I think fans have been sort of looking at players like Rob Holding and Eric Dyer, who might potentially be available on loan. You know, but you know, it's we're not we're not attractive anymore. We're not an attractive proposition anymore, and that is um, that's frightening because you get into this this snowball effect, this kind of you know, this just this ever ever deepening decline where it's much harder to to attract players. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but um, 
I would like to see Branthwaite in that team on, on, on Saturday against Wolves alongside Tarkovsky and just a, a reversion back to just being compact and, and at least see out the first 15, 20 minutes, you know, just, just get the lay of the land before trying to go gung-ho and uh, opening yourself up like that. What's really disappointing as well about Sean Dyche is that he talks a lot about the feeling, the feeling of the place and the feeling of a football club and, you know, feeling the mentality. And he's eroded that feeling by some really silly mistakes. And I think, really, my, my judgment's been a bit clouded by what I thought Dyche would be, which was pragmatic. And as you said, Adam, we'd go to Villa Park and maybe get a point. But really, the more the more I've watched... I do not understand Sean Dyche's decision making whatsoever, um, particularly with his with his substitutions as well. And you know what what disappoints me is that Jared Branthwaite had a really positive experience, um, and then he's had to sit on the bench for two games and to see you know a player making errors ahead of him. And it, I I just I think that's been a disaster. Whereas if you'd have put Branthwaite in and he wasn't up to the job. I don't think there's, as I say, that feel that, that word feeling. The feeling isn't as disastrous as it is now. If you put Branthwaite in, he's not up to the job. It means that we've looked at what we can do. We've tried to make the situation better. And then you can go back into the transfer market. Or if you have to, you go back to Michael Keane. But to revert to what he was doing last season, which was losing us games, losing us goals, it's just real alarm bells for me because I don't... it. it it's really, you know, made me question Sean Dyche's decision making, because I, I think it's been a shocking decision, and it's really, you know, put us off track at the start of the season. I agree. I think, I think, in some ways as well, we're, we're a victim of our own options at centre back because it's it's an area of a pitch where we are well stocked in terms of numbers. There are people who can come in, but the problem is none of those options. Well, they're either unproven or they sadly haven't been up to the task. Um, so Sean Dyche is clearly going with the two who he knows best. But by in turn, he, he's he's then damaging his own... It, because it, it, A, it appears a blind spot, and B, he's shown that he can't really get a tune out of that Michael Keenan-Tarkovsky partnership. It, it just hasn't worked. It didn't work last season. And at Villa Park, it was completely undone. It wasn't the only reason we lost the game. But to your point, Lennon, if if we are having, if we are under the cosh at times this season, that back four, whoever's in it, needs to be able to stand up to it. And it was it was incredibly, incredibly easy for Villa to score all of those goals. Whether it was down to, I mean, the fourth goal, I I still watch it and don't understand what is happening. With Ashley Young, I, I don't understand his his reasoning. I don't understand yeah. based on what he's seen Michael Keane just do as well. He's thought, let's 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 really challenge him. Uh, it, it almost feels aggressive the way that he's he's kind of put him in this awful position. But again, when when experienced players are doing that, these these aren't young kids. The likes of Patterson gets an easier ride, and and again, I, I don't always think that's that's necessarily the right thing to do because he's he's another player who's who's again just started the season and and at times last season he's not played well but again there's there's not really any competition in that area but when you've got 38 year olds and 30 year olds making schoolboy errors at the back then mm-hmm. what can you expect a young player to learn from that um 
And, th- and I guess that is the argument against bringing in Bramthwaite. That's the only logical one I can see, that you are really putting a lamb to the slaughter by bringing him in. But I think by now it's it's a case of, yeah, we've we've tested everything else. We've not tested Jared Bramthwaite as centre-back. Let's see if it gives us some balance. Let's see if that season on loan where he showed what he could do in a, in a top European league, let's see if he can bring that into our side. Because surely, surely Michael Keane does not start this weekend and if he does then all bets are off <laughs> yeah yeah it comes down to um well uh funds are, the funds are limited with a capital l aren't they and it does not you know and when if that's what he's got he's got to i mean everyone was everyone was saying oh, a few months back but six weeks back why haven't we signed Conor Cody we haven't got the money <laughs> I mean like, we don't whether we even wanted to we couldn't spend three and a half million quid on Conor Cody so we got you know if, if he's if that's all he's got he's, he's got to go at the end of the day the manager's got to go players that they trust and if he trusts Michael Keane and Tarkovsky I guess he got I guess he's got to go with them the problem we got now with that though is and it's the same as last season Michael Keane is a position, and, and it's it's why this podcast, and I think if you listen to any other Everton podcasts for the week, and go on social media this week, Michael Keane, sadly, is the name that's sort of attached to everything. And he's not the only reason Everton were crap. And the, the midfield was nowhere, by the way. He got, they got That defence got no help from their midfield. But that's by the by. The problem we got now, having Michael Keane in the team becomes untenable. If that if it gets at 2 o'clock on Saturday... And the team, and everyone see, finds out the team on the phones and the pubs and around the ground, or whatever. And you see Michael Keane's playing. All of a sudden, before before the ball's even be kick, being kicked, before even happened, everyone's always like, "Oh shit!" You know what I mean? So it's 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 um yeah it's 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 and that's how it was getting towards the end of last season. And we can all see this. And even if he feels Michael Keane's the best solution with that, he's got to realise that. Well, a bit like he did in the end last season. It's like, well, yeah, I I you know you might if he's if I'm Sean Dice, I'm going like, yeah, I, I love Keane though. Uh, you know, I know what he can do for me, but it's become such a big hassle for everybody that I have to take him out of it. You know what I mean? And maybe give him a game against um, uh, Doncaster. Uh, is it Doncaster next week? Doncaster. Yeah, I don't know. Just yeah, yeah. you know, give, give him that twenty minutes when we're trying to sort of see the game out. Give him that sort. Yeah, you know I mean, give him them. You know, them thing because it's not tenable. And if we, if he, if he's in the team on on Saturday, and we lose the game, whether it's his fault or not. He's going to be the guy who everyone's, who everyone's pointing at, you know. So it's um, it's not tenable for him to be in the team. And if we can all see this, you have to question why Sean Dyche can't see, can't see this too. I'd say on Sean Dyche um, as well, um, he was the first one to hold his hands up on Sunday. I um, mean, you know, he, he didn't make any excuses. He didn't bemoan the penalty. Um, he, you know, he, he, t- you know he, he was he was very honest in his you know um, you know in, in his comments about how poor we were. And I think we do have to judge Sean Dyche. And I don't know if he's going to get, get that opportunity at centre-back. But I think we need to judge Sean Dyche when he's got his best team out on the field. And we, you know, and he hasn't got Dwight McNeil. And he hasn't got um, Jack Harrison. He, he won't have Alex Iwobi. He hasn't had Dominic Carvalho and Seamus Coleman. You know, it shouldn't be the case at his age and what he's doing. But it, it, it's another one as well. He, he hasn't got access to. Um, and that again, and we're going around in circles again. Goes back to recruitment and not having a good enough squad to counter them, um, them lack of options. So um, we said a hundred times last season. We'll say it again. He's going to have to find a way, and uh, he's going to have to find a way pretty, pretty quick, smart. Yeah, and you're right to mention that midfield, <laughs> which was, I think, as I mentioned in my report, just it was like the void was back. You know, the, the Lampard void, where <laughs> the team, just, you know, the opposition team just pours through you, and it's and it's so easy. I've heard. 
more than a couple of people say this week that they that Villa didn't really have to get out of second or third gear, and and that <laughs> on when you're on the other end other end of a four nil drubbing, I mean that's really hard to take. Um, I mean, I'm curious what what you fellas think is the best solution uh, in central midfield. You know, based on what we have, obviously we have a Drissa Gay who he's the number six who isn't really a number six um, who can be really really important. You know, when he's on his game, but <laughs> atrocious when he's not. Um, I think the perhaps the one the one thing you can maybe take is the fact that he was that bad against Arsenal and use that as a as a kind of a platform having been hooked at half time in that match back in March to basically spend the rest of the season being back more or less close to the player that we that we know. Um you've got Amadou Anana who's you know this frustrating unit of a player who's got all this attributes and all this obvious talent who just seems either unwilling or incapable of imposing himself on a game. Um, yes, I know he's young, but there are players, you know, young players who who have a sort of an attitude about them. I mean, obviously there's someone like Wayne Rooney, like who just, they have an attitude and a bravado, but then just come in and, and, and just shake things up. And I just, I watch him. I just want him to, to, to do what in that fixture last season, when he made his, 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 um, his debut off the bench, you know, he, he came in, he drove forward, he forced the, the own goal off Luca Dean and we've barely seen him do it since, you know, for in an entire season a bit, he's barely done it since. And I just think that it's all there. I think we know it's all there. These these teams that are looking at paying, if they are, you know, based on the speculation, but in looking at paying mm-hmm. 60 million for him, they can see that it's there. And I think that obviously if he's in a better team, you'd see a lot more of it. Um, I'd love to know what the, what's holding him back. Um, Abdullah Dekore, he can be a game changer and a match winner as we've seen, but when he's off, you know, he really kind of betrays his technical deficiencies. James Garner obviously appears to be, I think for many of us, like the most complete player that we have. But again, he's been wasted out wide. And uh, with Awobi out injured now for, a, we don't know how long, I think the, the post that he put on Twitter today seems to suggest that it's minor, his hamstring problem, which please, I mean, he doesn't tend to get injured that often. And when he does, he comes back quite quickly. So fingers crossed there. But I mean, if he stays, however long he's out, I suspect Ghana will be on the right. Then Jim will be on the left. You know, Andre Gomez was on the bench against Fulham, but he's not even a consideration. Tyler Onyango is too young and inexperienced. So I don't know. I, I just, the, I don't know what the solution is there. I mean, we've, we've been obsessed with this um, almost since the Martinez days of having this double pivot or these two deep lying, um, you know, central midfielders. And yet we're, we're still getting opened up. We're still not compact. And so, I mean, that's probably because we've always been you know, worried about having this porous defense that we don't have more of a sort of a dynamic midfield. But um, I don't know, Al, is there anything we can do differently there? Or is it literally just a case of just drilling them into being more compact, focused, diligent about tra- tracking runners and, and, and the rest of it? Yeah, well, I, I'm a, I've made no, you know, I, no secret of my, you know, love for James Garner. I think we should be building the team around him. I think, and it, I, I do not want to see him become a utility man because he is that good. Yeah, um, he's got to be in the centre of midfield. And I, I think what a real problem is for me, and it doesn't really get talked about, and no one, I think, because Adrisa Garnagay has been so important in the past. But for me, Amadou Anana needs to be the six, and Adrisa Garnagay shouldn't be playing every game. And when I say Amadou Anana in the six, I don't mean that he's going to, you know, tackle everything that moves. But he almost needs to, when Everton are in possession, be helping the defence out because of how modern football is. And you know, you do build your play up. And Arna's very good technically, 
and he's brave on the ball. I feel that he needs to be coming short to, to Tarkovsky and, you know, Michael Keane, whoever it is, taking the ball and getting us going. Because, you know, Amadou Anana is really good at tackling. He's good at breaking up play. But I just don't think he and Gay play well together. Because, as you say, Anana just becomes completely ineffective. And I think it's because he's he's probably talented enough that he can do the role of Idrissa Garner-Gay and one other. And that's not to say, that's not to take anything away from Idrissa Garner-Gay. But I just feel that similarly to Decore, Idrissa Garner-Gay, when he has a bad day, you rarely see his weaknesses. Whereas I think Amadou Anana is more of a complete all-round midfielder. And as you mentioned, Lyndon, that, that pivot, it doesn't it doesn't work when opposition teams are just running straight through us. So it's almost like, you know, not attack is the best form of defence, but I feel that Everton needs to get more on the ball and more proactive because especially the first half hour against Fulham, that midfield of Decore Gay and Anana did not have any influence. It was so bitty in the build-up and it was, you know, losing the ball and miscontrolling. And I just think... Idrissa Garner Gay and Decore aren't technically gifted enough for us to be playing the way we are, you know, with that transition. More often than mm. not, they'll give the ball away when, when, they're, when they're under pressure. So for me, I mean, obviously the number 10 role is a bit of a difficult one because the injuries we have. But maybe, you know, would you be able to, if we had wingers as well, see, this is how bad the team is. But, you know, you would, <laughs> you would maybe, in an ideal world, that would have... Anana is the six, Garner is the eight, and maybe Danjuma is the ten, or obviously Ideal World, Deli Ali or Iwobi. You know what I mean? But obviously that's that's not possible at the minute. But again, you can't go into the market and sign a number ten. But for me it's Anana and Garner, James Garner are the two, which yeah, Anana needs to have more of an influence, but I think I think the way we set up doesn't help his game at all. And I think he can do far more if Idrissa Garner-Gay isn't there. Because I think, you know, Idrissa Garner-Gay will tackle and give the ball, but it's always a five-yard pass. It's never that brave because I just don't think he has the ability. Whereas Amadou Anana, I think, can break those, break that play up and then he can spray a 50-yard pass or he, he can play between the lines and play the ball into Calvert-Lewin's feet or whatever. So for me, I think we really need to start using those technically gifted players because I, I just think the Corey and Idrissa Garner-Gay, for the, for the energy they give you and the... The, the the pitch that they cover, I just don't think they're good enough anymore. I just don't think they've got it. And I think when they're in this situation, we lose the ball far too much when they when when they get it. Yeah, you make some good points there about Gay and Decore there. Um for me they're both in the midfield though. I've I've actually I've actually preempted this. I've actually got a full uh, eleven which I'd like to supply against Wolves. Um, obviously, Pickford and goal. I'd like to see Mikalenko get back in at left-back. Um, just expanding on your question a little bit there. I think he's fit now over the four. I don't know if he's dice fit, but you'd think he should be pretty pretty fit and able. I'd like a, a natural left-back. Okay, yes, you're not going to see the balls in like we saw from Luka Dean, but you know what you see is what you get with Mikalenko. I'd just like to see him back in the team there at left-back. And then Branfway in, Tarkovsky, Patterson. But coming into the midfield... I'd remove Anana, actually. And as as he, he does have all the attributes, you're right, but he just doesn't seem all there uh, to me at the moment. I think that our, what was our best performance last season was definitely Brighton away. Certainly the most standout result when we won 5-1. The midfield was Adrissa Gay, James Garner, and uh, Abdelaide Decore. Uh, Anana was on the bench that day. They would, um, Now, look, it doesn't mean they're going to gonna play that every game, but I think Gay, I think, I think, as you alluded to before, Lyndon, I think kind of like he got hooked at half-time. 
he does tend to react quite well to sort of, you know, kind of setbacks, I think. And coming in again for this next game against Wolves, and I don't know if this is the team moving forward, but for this next game against Wolves, I'd have him in there tackling. Garnet, 100% has to be in the midfield. I, I, he's so wasted out wide, it's it's criminal, really. And Decore, I think he's been really poor these first two games. But you know Decore can have a good game and can bring good energy into the game. And I think um, he's probably earned his right from last season to yeah, to have another crack at that. I'd have Dobbin on the... Uh, he's been, you know, even Sean Dyche has been saying good things about him and was so short of options out on the wings. I'd have Dobbin and Dan Juma out there. And um, yeah, well... It's, it's no other, I guess, than Neil, Neil Mopey up front because we're so, again, short of options throughout. But, yeah, that being a midfield three anyway would be uh, Gay, Garner and Decore. Um Be interested to see how Dobbin, how Dobbin does and get a good look at them. Um, and, you know, with young players, they're just going to give it everything and give it a good go. And maybe with the Goodison crowd, that might just help us. I'd echo that on Dobbin. I think, um, yeah, one of, one of the few players to come out of the game on Sunday with... Uh, any kind of credit and um, he's looked bright I guess the disclaimer is he's only playing because he has to really and as I mentioned before with Deitch at centre half maybe because he feels like he has options he can stick with his favourites um, with Dobbin I, I think he he should get into the side on merit but also by default because yeah you, you start to look at those option, options with a few injuries um, and it it's it's frightening. Um, I think, to your point, L, about that central midfield, picking the likes of Anana and Garner together makes sense with a side who need to, like you say, take the ball, carry the ball out of defence, be progressive. We need to play that way when we haven't got Calvert-Lewin as an outlet to, to, to work through the lines. And we've seen so many times where the ball will get shuffled sideways, like you mentioned. Adrissa Garner Gay will kind of do do the kind of the dirty work, usually pretty well, um, apart from Sunday where it was just headless chickens all over the pitch. But we'll win you the ball back, but not really provide you anything with it. Likewise, Decore hasn't really got that in his locker. It's not the kind of midfielder. Um it, it it's 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 not his speciality. What he can do when he has a good game, which Again, like you say, Paul, he he might have a good game at the weekend and he's someone who can get a goal, but he's not going to be able to play through the lines. He's not going to play progressively. So in an ideal world, if we were playing some decent stuff, you would you would want Anana, Garner and probably Alex Awobi as that three, potentially Dan Juma as well. But with how stretched we are, it, it's not it's not an easy fix. I, I think the one, the one thing I'd say we, we're probably all... Um, in agreement on is is moving Garner, um, James Garner, into the middle because he's he's the one player who's got that composure in the middle of a park, um, which says a lot to be honest. Uh, in that he's, I, th- I think, the youngest of a bunch, if not if not Amadou Anana is um, one of the younger heads certainly. But he's someone who can get on the ball can dictate the tempo and can maybe settle us down at times in games where, I think you mentioned it earlier, Lyndon, at least get through that first 15 minutes of a game without falling behind. Because we we fall behind in a game this season on the Deitch. It's, it's probably a game that we lose. We will have to score first. It's something we mentioned many times last season. We've mentioned it again this year. So having someone in the middle of the park who can get on the ball and actually use it, um, 
<laughs> it really is. It really isn't asking for a lot, is it? But in that <laughs> current side, it's 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 what's needed. Um, but it it just shows that a few injuries by that the recruitment over the years. It's again, it's another well trodden path. I hear it mentioned a lot that Michael Keane would be a better centre forward than a centre half. And obviously the sort of joke there is, well, we haven't got any strikers and he he sort of does a good finishing training. The other side of that joke is that Michael Keane is not really a centre half. And that is our story in a nutshell. We've got players who we look at and think maybe they could do a job there, even though we know deep down they can't. We've got players who are in the side based on either seniority or as a favourite and we've also got a bench that week after week looks even more strange and removed from what you'd expect of a Premier League bench from options in a game that you could actually do something with and if if the likes of Dan Juma goes off at the weekend what what are we honestly left with and then we're, we're saying oh well when, when Jack Harrison comes back and then someone else it's it's really 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 concerning and I know that a win on Saturday changes the mood and I know that Wolves are the sort of side that we would we would like to play coming up but our run of fixtures is pretty kind over the next few weeks but it still doesn't breed confidence when not only after Sunday but also looking ahead and seeing seeing what we have to work with um we've we've been critical of Deitch and we should be but it's it's a very 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 tough squad to manage in terms of personnel at the moment. I, I don't envy him. Yeah. I always worry about the, uh, the anxiety factor. Just, you know, what, what is that going to be the, the sort of the 12th man for the opposition from, from the beginning? You know, it's, it's really not the way you want to be going into your, um, into your second game of the season. I mean, maybe, maybe this is related to the MSP sports capital thing not coming through but i mean apparently according to the bobble it's a, it's a question of us needing to just dump up 5 million up front for Che Adams who i honestly thought would be in by now i mean if you think of not not only do we need someone who can do what he can do and yes he's not you know he's not a prolific striker um i think the um the mope mark 2 um quips are a bit perhaps a bit harsh because I mean, he's a taller player he's a busier player I think he you know he's a more um, productive player in terms of creating goals for other players and I think that had he been signed this week and obviously I mean we're recording on Wednesday I doubt you know unless it's done tomorrow and he's registered in time by whatever whatever it is noon on Friday I mean I can't see that happening at this point but the lift that would give just to have another option up there that I think would, would help and as a my theory is now that we're going in with a very edgy crowd that um, <laughs> saw someone joke on Twitter that they're more worried about 2 p.m. on Saturday than they are 3 p.m. Because, again, <laughs> you know, it's the team selection factor of, you know, has, what 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 is um, what is what is the team selection going to have? You know, what impact is that going to have on the mood? It's just, yeah, it's just hard to it's hard to, to, to pick yourself up for, for this one, isn't it? But uh as you said, Adam, a win a win really does change things, you know, quite quite dramatically, because at least it shows that they're capable, and it gives you a platform, you know, to go to Sheffield United and and then try and obviously get something from that game, and then all of a sudden the the picture looks a little bit rosier. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Just um, just just quick on that, Lynn. So because it's something you kind of mentioned before about how come you know 
how 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 can we expect players to sign for us when this is the case? How can we? Uh, you know, we're saying we can't stump up the five million quid for Fetch. At what point does Shadows go? You know what? I mean, I'm getting a little bit fed up with this. I'll, I'll see. You know, this other club is interested. I might I might want to go there instead. How can we expect players to renew contracts for uh, with, with, with us at Everton? We've, we've seen Tom Davis knock us back. Um, you know what? You know, talk of this whole they're trying to tie Jared Van Foyt down to a bigger newer contract. He's not even in the team. Um, you know. Let alone the, the mess that he can that the mess that he can see. At what point you know, we say we're pinning so much on Dominic Carvalho, and at what point would he might go like, oh, you know, surely his contract's getting to a point of of um of slowly running down. How can other clubs expect to take us seriously? You know, like when when we're coming up with these like ridiculous sort of like uh, you know methods of sort of payment. When when players are trying to sign our players, surely they can lowball us completely. You know what I mean? Knowing that that knowing the desperate situation we're in. You know what I mean? So just, just picking up on that, it's um. It's quite frightening all the way all the way through that from every every facet, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think someone like in Adams's case, it's a it's an immediate path back to the Premier League, and I think maybe they look at it like Dan Juma did, where and maybe Nyonto was looking at it the same way. It's it's a platform um, to show you know that you can actually do well in in a, in a team that's otherwise struggling. You can be a standout player if you play really well and put yourself in the in the shop window. I mean, I don't think we're under any illusions now that we're a stepping stone. To, to bigger things for players, and which is fine as long as they do the job when they're with us, you know. Yeah, yeah it just feels like, you know, it feels like Dennis Strakalersi territory that we need somebody to, you know, from obscurity to be a bright spot because, the, you know, it the recruitment, at least when we didn't have money, we would be a bit clever about it. And now that, you know, when money did come, it just seemed that, you know, that went out the window. But we need a spark. We need, you know, when when Kevin Campbell arrived on loan, when Landon Donovan arrived on loan, we need something where a player, no matter what their ability, brings something different because it, it, it just it just isn't work. And I, I honestly feel that the, the functionality of the team, it just needs somebody to hold the ball up. It's that simple. It, even like a, a National League striker, would improve this Everton team just by having the nous to hold a ball for two seconds for his teammates to join in the attack. Because with Neil Morpe, you know, he will try and nick the ball off the defender. He's never winning the headers. He's not really strong enough to back in. You know, he's up against Premier League centre-backs. They're big, strong units. And we're asking him to do a hell of a lot where we need to look at the market. You know, there are thousands of footballers out there who can do a job, and I feel like that's where we're at. It needs to be a player from just obscurity that we that we pluck that can do a job because, you know, it, it, the money isn't there. So we've got to be clever about it like we used to be. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I just don't see where we go from here. And, you know, a lot, we've, we're having this conversation when the football club has signed a centre-forward this summer. This is how crazy Everton are. We have signed a centre-forward. He hasn't been included in the first two matchday squads. So, you know, you would look and you would expect them to maybe play against Doncaster, but why, when we're in the predicament we are, we're now doing what we should have done in 2016, which is plan for the future. You know, and I know that, you know, it's it's an investment. We haven't paid a lot of money for him up front, but he's there and he's a player who in Europe has put the ball in the back of the net, has held the ball up, has ran the channels, has brought teammates into play and for whatever reason you know he's not in the team and whatever the reason is that makes me question Everton more because I think well of all the strikers in the world 
why is he the one you've gone for when we need an impact now? We need a player to be playing now. And, you know, I've joked on Twitter, the nets, the balls, the pitch, they're exactly the same in England as they are in Portugal. Why Why is it a <laughs> modern thing that because he's a certain age, we have to ease him in and we have to, it's football. You know, he knows how to play football. He's done it for sporting in Portugal. He's, he's not going to be a bad player, but we need a presence. We can't keep doing this square peg round hole thing. He's a centre forward. We spent money on him. You know, every month we put money into his bank account because he's employed to play football for us. And it, it really does baffle me that, you know, that's the dysfunction of Everton right now. That all the Everton podcasts, all the fans on Twitter, all the fans in the pub are talking about this need for a centre forward. And we've actually signed him, but he's not part of the equation. It, it You know, the, the things that don't make sense now make complete sense for Everton. The, the more baffling things they do, the more you think, yeah, sounds about right. It's just got to end soon. <laughs> it's, it's how David Moyes used to be, though, isn't it? He's very, he was very cautious about bringing young players in. I mean, obviously he played a number of them off the bench and, and got, gave quite a few of them their debuts when they were quite young. You know, the, the, the Jose Baxters and the, and the you know, James Vaughan's of the world. But uh, it strikes me as another one of these very pragmatic, you know, they have to be completely 100%. No, Sean Dyche fit. They have to be experienced enough. Um, I mean, obviously, I think he's, he seems to have a lot of faith in, in Dobbin based on preseason. Um, and I, I like the fact that Dobbin's got the energy, um, you know, the end product and the, te- the technical ability might not be there yet. But I think he's going to bank on him to just come on and, and, and cause problems. But, yeah, as I said before, with the Wayne Rooney example, even someone like Michael Owen, if you're, if you're good enough, you know, you're old enough. And I don't think we're going to find out if he is and, until we start getting him on the pitch. Yeah, completely. And it's, yeah, it is funny that essentially we're at a stage now where we need Kevin Campbell and we've signed, I don't know, Velios. You know, we've we've really, <laughs> we've, we've done the right, we've done sort of the right thing at the wrong time, which is very Everton. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, he, he, he's not, he's not entered the conversation because he's clearly not in the manager's thinking at this, at this stage. But if we are, and to go back to that recruitment, if Shea Adams has been identified, and I wouldn't say it's the most inspired scouting um, by our by our recruitment side. Again, it's it's let's look at a player who's Premier League proven, who's got that tick. That tick doesn't always guarantee a good fit for the Everton squad, as we've seen with Neil Mopay. Just because he's played at Premier League level doesn't mean he was the right player at that time. But if we are haggling over a down payment, when yeah. We, we've spent at least 12 million, albeit I'm, I'm sure staggered and with uh, different instalments and bonuses, etc., on a young strike from Sporting Lisbon. If Shea Adams has been identified as the answer to our woes, then we should be doing everything to get it over line. It should have been done, it should have been done in the summer. It certainly should have been done after the Fulham game, where we the reason for us not winning that game was so obviously clear. And Certainly, after the Villa game, it, it it should it should have been like the Jack Harrison deal. It should have been, and now we pull the lever. And mm-hmm. okay, s- some of that might be down to other moving parts. It might be down to Damari Gray's transfer. It might be down to MSP. It might be down to some other new woe that's looming on the horizon. But surely, <laughs> something has to ch- has to change uh, before the end of this transfer window. Because if we are Coming to the answer of who starts up front of the weekend, well, we know Calvert Lewin's still not available, so it's got to be Mopay. Then 
that's that's going to be the wrong answer every Saturday. And as we've all kind of alluded to there, it's sadly it's it's seeping into that narrative of yeah, the two p.m. at Saturday becomes an event that sets the tone. Um, and I don't want to dwell on that too much and make that sound as though the fans have a reason because that's again another very evident narrative at the moment. But you know, the negative feelings towards the players are somehow you know that's that's down to the fans and that's it's 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 a it's a dialogue and at the moment the players that we have are not suited to what we need to stay in this division um mm-hmm. if we can see that after two games then who knows where we'll be after 30 so something something needs to be done in the next oh god it's yeah it's the 23rd of august today yeah something needs to be done by the time you've listened to this hopefully there has been <laughs> um, <laughs> frightening just something on the transfer window and the recruitment as well. You know, Shea Adams is a Southampton player. They they got relegated 101 days ago. That player, mm-hmm. having been relegated, is probably available. And I, I you know, I, I watched the Southampton highlights last week when they beat Plymouth and Adams got the winner. And Russell Martin said, you know, I'm really proud of the players because some of the, you know, the, the future is up in the air. And I've, I've watched football long enough to know that that means Shea Adams is going out the door and that there's interest. So it needs to be done because... You know, by September 3rd, 4th, that's 10% of the season. Everton are a football club who have stayed up by four points and then two points, which means a single three points is absolutely giant. Fulham will be down there probably, and we've given them three points. Wolves will be down there probably. We need to beat them, basically. The likes Mm -hmm. of Luton, Sheffield United... You know, it, we've got to beat these teams and, and we, we're going into games against them when we're going to be up against them probably in March, April and May and we're giving them an advantage. Already Fulham are three points better off and there's nothing we can do about that now. And it, it's the fine margins when you're down there and for me it's, you know, it, it's over, it's, I think it's 11 weeks since the game against Bournemouth. Why, the, the, you know, obviously, you know, I won't say Everton should have been doing deals in April but in May, when you know your future and you know you're going to be a Premier League football club, why, you know, if if, if the money is an issue with Shea Adams, why have we spent some money on a on a Portuguese kid that's not going to get a game? You know, what? why? I don't, I just don't understand the thinking anymore. I don't understand the process. And it's really frustrating to be proven right game after game. You know, as you mentioned, Adam, the fans are being accused of being a bit negative when they've seen the team sheet. But it's it's because we know. <laughs> we know what's gonna happen. Um we know that we're not gonna get three points because the team can't function. So so again it, it's it's you know, I don't know the inner workings of the football club and how transfers work exactly. But for me, a business operating in this way, a hundred and one days ago Southampton got relegated. And that means a player is probably available to make the step back up to the Premier League and Southampton would, you know, be quite grateful of the money. And for us to still be in talks with them when, you know, I read, I don't know, you know, how true the reports are, but on Twitter that he could have had a medical on Monday. That's still two days late after the after the Wolves game. You know, it, it's 10% of the season and every point counts. And yeah, it's just really frustrating that a team that has gone so close to the wire of nearly being relegated is happy to, to just get by in these really, really crucial football matches. Maybe the answer to all your questions is in this uh, mythical Kevin Thelwell interview that may yeah. may or may not ever see, see the light of day. 
Um, but just uh, just before we finish off, we'll uh, do our weekly question. And I think this week came from uh, Paul, uh, obviously in the light of uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin being out uh, yet again. Uh, poor sod. <laughs> just when he thought he was he was back um, to have a, a run in the side, he's he's out again. Obviously, we don't know how long that's going to be for. But uh, you know, in, in the vein of that, and not wishing to. Um, to, to sort of place any blame at his door because obviously there isn't. So we thought we'd have a have a talk about who uh, is what did I say? Who is who is the king of the Everton sick notes? Who's the uh, the, the when you think about long term or frequently or always injured players? Who's the first player that comes to mind? Uh, Paul, why don't you why don't you kick it off? For me, it's like the the different types of injuries which which. A said player gets which kind of determines the king of the sick notes so in that that basis it's one you mentioned earlier actually in uh, James Vaughan um, because and I loved Vaughan uh, I think we all did yeah I mean it, it, it's just the it little heavier wasn't he he was really like a real scrapper which is probably why he got so many injuries actually um, and it's sad when, it, it, it's a sad topic really isn't it as, as much as we uh, giggle a little bit, um, but it's just like I mean, he, he severed an artery somehow while, uh, like, yeah, I think in the game against Bolton while playing, he broke his wrist trying to catch his mobile phone when he dropped it once. Yeah, you know I mean, <laughs> I remember Alan Irvine saying like, I don't know why he was so concerned about the phone. We'd have bought him a new one. <laughs> you know, like, and um, it's just, a, it, I think it's just the, the nature of injuries, uh, which which kind of determined for me like a real sort of sick note sort of player. And that's the first one came to mind for me, James Vaughan. And it's sad because I think he'd have been an excellent player had he been able to stay fit, James Vaughan. Uh, who knows what sort of career he might yeah, have had. He had a decent career down, down the leagues, but it was always in, a lot of injuries for that. For that. So, um, yeah, James Vaughan for me would be the first one came to mind for me. I mean, Yerry Mina sprung to mind very quickly um, as a kind of a player who you'd watch the game and go, uh, when, <laughs> uh, when, it, when is he going to go? But also, but was also uh, likable at the same time. But then, w- w- when I really thought about it, injury prone, Richard Wright sprung mm. to mind for collecting some really bizarre injuries. Yeah. Where I think did he fall out of his attic? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and then, and then I think he like kicked a sign or fell over a sign in a goal as well. <laughs> And rolled himself yes. out. So, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go Richard Wright, who's one of those players who, like a lot of goalkeepers, seem to like stick around for a long time as like a fourth choice somewhere, um, but without getting too too involved in the action. But uh, Everton, he was uh, yeah, usually in the news for uh, wrong reasons um, as an unlucky player. So yeah, Richard Wright. I think that the sign was actually telling him, "Don't play in this goal." Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love about that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think for me, when when I think of the current squad, you know, JB Gabaman has just um, oh yeah, not yeah. featured. He, you know, I, I was there for his for his uh, debut against Crystal Palace away. He came on second half, and I think in that half, I saw about twenty percent of his Everton career. Um, and it is a shame <laughs> because. Really, when you look at his profile, he is the sort of player you wanted Everton to sign when when the investment came. You know, he you know he's he's done well in Europe for maybe one of the lesser clubs and was ready to make that step up. 
And it's just a real shame because I always I always think about Gabamon, you know, he's he's come over to a foreign country. And what happened with Gabamon as well is that, that, that the pandemic has occurred while he's been in England as well. So I think, yeah. you know, it must be a very lonely, difficult, challenging experience to not only for the for the boring days that you've got to experience and the fact you can't get out on the pitch, but it's also the fact that people are judging you as well. You know, people will will call JP Gabamon a flop, an Everton transfer flop, when really, you know, he just hasn't been fit enough to get on the pitch. But another player I always remember in terms of he wasn't a flop, you know, he wasn't injury prone for Everton, but I always remember um, Jesper Blomqvist. I always think that... Mm. He came to Everton because he'd had his injury problems. Um, and what a fantastic player when he was at Palmer and United. And, you know, you still saw saw glimpses of it. But he's another one where, you know, the, the David Moyes era when we were trying to get players uh, through the door, you know, there would always be that caveat sometimes that the fitness probably wasn't great. And I think Louis Saha is probably another one of those players. Yeah. Who, yeah. you know, we if he was fit and firing... He would have stayed at Man United and been one of their main strikers, I think, for a decade. He was a, a fantastic player. So, you know, it, it, it's probably been to Everton's benefit over the last 20 years when the cash hasn't been there. That, unfortunately, you know, injuries are a part of football and maybe those players with not the best fitness records, we, we've been able to take advantage of that and, that and get their quality when they have been available. Yeah, Van der Meijer as well. Yeah. Yeah. So much of it is 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 just unfortunate, isn't it? Just uh, players with bad luck with injuries, and it's you know almost never their fault. Um, Gabamon was the one that, that obviously came to mind, just <laughs> because it's just one, and not just one sort of niggling injury, serious injury after another. You know, you almost rip your quad off the bone, and you rupture your Achilles, and you know it's it's gonna be a very hard road back, very hard road back. Um, and just in the context of thinking about. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I who I feel desperately sorry for, another player that, that sort of came to mind way back when I first, in the early days when I was supporting the club, was uh, Norman Whiteside, who's you know who would have been a I think a brilliant player for us and and you know one who could have played for us for years had he not uh, had his injury problems. So yeah, it's just uh, it's one of those things, isn't it? Another one I thought was Ian Snowden as well. They have quite a lot of injuries, I think, at Everton. Ian Snowden, was, he came with really yeah. high hopes, didn't he? Yeah. Um, as well. But Gabam, what, what, what's, what's the situation with Gabam at the moment? I'd completely forgotten about him, I must be honest. It didn't even occur to me at all. It's just that like, he, he won't come and play for Everton, basically, is that kind of it. He won't. He doesn't want to be there. Sounds like Dice, the team, probably didn't particularly want them there either by the scheme of things. Seems like uh, his contract's up next summer. I'm curious to know what the, what the situation is with him. Oh, well, he's currently injured. <laughs> he, apparently, I guess he, he picked up an injury where was he on loan was it uh, Fenerbahce where was he on loan last yeah, season or Trevon Spore Trevon Spore yes sorry yes yeah, and yeah. yeah he apparently picked up an injury there or in you know, training since so he's apparently in Paris getting over his injury but his agent has said that he doesn't ever expect to, to go back to Everton because he's hoping he's hoping to, move, to get a move back to Germany um, mm. so but you know when I said we need that spark, and I mentioned Kevin Campbell, a player from Trotton Sport, coming <laughs> uh, back, and, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Norman, yeah, maybe he is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, yeah. he's got the uh, the status. He, well, yeah, I mean, I think anyone could play up front at the moment. I was going to say, I think he's uh, 
he's still uh, he's still the player who's got uh, more more points on his driving license uh, than he has got appearances for Evan. Uh, so, uh, which I'm sure I'm, I'm sure Darren Gibson ran him close as well. Speaking of injury prone players, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, not a good start. Oh, what a legend! Well, well, call time there. Uh, hopefully, we're all feeling a lot better about things come Saturday evening. Uh, at the moment, any feel-good factor looks like it would come from a win for the Toffees because, as we record, as we've said, there doesn't appear to be anything imminent signings-wise, but we all live in hope, eh? Uh, until next week, then, Blues, uh, try and keep the faith because, as we know, Goodison can be a powerful place when we're all behind the team. Uh, also, if you haven't checked out El's new video podcast venture, give it a whirl. Uh, he does a video review after Everton games and covers other football topics with guests. It's called Sport Quotes and Facts Untold, and you can give it a follow at SQAF Club on Twitter, X, I suppose this was supposed to call it, and uh, on YouTube. Uh, but that's your lot. Speak to you next week, Blues. Up the toffees. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.